0: available on digital media, iTunes podcast, smartphone apps, and from the online website. This is Outlook, the talking newspaper for Coventry. Hello and welcome to this week's edition
1: of Outlook being recorded on Wednesday the 17th of January. And I'm Nigel Hewin, And in this week's uh, production of Outlook we have Edith Cavell. You may remember that name for a lady who was... Uh, Killed by the Germans in the war for spying, but today we'll take looking at wartime time, wartime period. We've got stories about Dad's Army. They found some radio scripts which are now being made into cartoons. Dame Judy Dench is a local girl, as you probably know, from Stratford, and she has a real a f- passion for love. <laughs> Upon has a real passion for animals, and we're going to find out more from Sue hurdy-gurdy days of course are back again with Alan and there's a little bit of poetry by Walter La and we're going to end up with wassailing happening on the 12th night uh, after Christmas to ensure a good harvest but of course we've also got uh, news from the centre, sport, your postbag but as ever we're going to start with the new local news with uh, Peter and uh, Elaine
2: Outlook News
3: Councils are facing very difficult financial pressures and need a change in how they're funded a senior opposition councillor in Coventry has said Councillor Gary Ridley leader of the Conservative Group at Coventry City Council said its budget challenge is real and it's not responsible to play politics with the issue but he's also calling for a wider review of commercial activities by such as council owned Coombe Abbey Hotel Cuts to the tune of almost £11 million affecting public services could be signed off by Coventry Council next month. The plans have gone out to the public for their views and were drawn up to cover the Council's 2024-25 budget gap, which the Council says has been caused by skyrocketing inflation and demand for services. Last month, Councillor Ridley signed a cross-party letter from the Labour-run Council calling on the Conservative-led government for a one-off cash injection to help councils fund vital services over the next two years. The lesser-claimed Coventry Council has managed its finances robustly, but along with other authorities in England is now in unprecedented times. It also called for a longer-term change to give councils multi-year funding which Councillor Wrigley and senior Labour councillors say would solve budget woes longer term. More bin strikes could hit Coventry in 2024 due to a new dispute between the City Council and Unite over ending task and finish. But talks failed and the council agreed last month to offer workers new contracts without task and finish and fire and rehire those who disagree. Coventry's City of Culture year was another big topic in 2023, following the collapse of the Trust which ran the programme in February. The charity owed over £4 million to various groups, including over £1 million to the City Council and Assembly Festival, an arts group which runs one of the biggest venues at the Edinburgh Fringe. Legacy projects ended or didn't go ahead. Fifty people lost their jobs and the trust collapse is being investigated by the Charity Commission and its administrators. Councillor Ridley said both sides of the council chamber now believe mistakes were made and a public inquiry of some level is needed. The public realm improvements are a solid legacy that wouldn't have happened otherwise and the city did get a lot of attention and visits. I don't think the year was a failure, he said, but I think it could have been better. Looking back on the year, Councillor Ridley said positives included the return of events that disappeared during the pandemic and inflation falling to 3.9% after a very difficult year for the economy and the cost of living crisis. We've avoided a recession as well, which I think is really positive news. At the start of the year, that was not a foregone conclusion.
4: The Department for Work and Pensions has a number of key payments going out to people on benefits this January, with some key dates imminent. The money is in most part aimed at the poorest people in society as they try to cope with a cold spell. Inflation has gone down to 3.9%, meaning prices are rising slightly less quickly than before, but they are still going up, and people on the breadline are really struggling to make ends meet. One particular payment which is going out this month is intended specifically to help heat homes, and recipients are being urged to check their accounts to see if it has arrived there, with a key deadline looming. The £600 winter fuel payments have been going into bank accounts since December. But if it has not gone into bank accounts by January 26th, people need to take urgent action. Other help available to qualifying people are cold weather payments, the warm home discount scheme, the DWP Christmas bonus which was £10, warm home discount scheme up to £150, fuel vouchers up to £50, and the household support fund up to £350. The final cost of living payment of £299 will be paid between February 6th and February 22nd, 2024. People receiving certain benefits or tax credits are eligible for the cost of living payment. These include Universal Credit, Job Seekers Allowance, Employment Support Allowance, Income Support, Pension Credit, Child Tax Credit and Working Mm. Tax Credit. Parents
3: are being warned of a rise in measles cases as children prepare to go back to school. The UK Health Security Agency is urging families to be aware of the symptoms of measles and to keep children at home if they show signs of having this highly infectious virus. The warning comes as the region sees measles cases rising daily, with 100 confirmed cases, including four travel-related, since the beginning of last October, and a further 63 likely cases at present. Around 80% of cases have been seen in Birmingham, with about 10% in Coventry. However, other local authority areas are now being affected by measles. UK HSA health professionals are concerned that these figures will rise quickly following the festive season. As uptake of MMR, the measles, mumps and rubella vaccine is worryingly low in some parts of the West Midlands region. Dr Naveed Saeed, UK HSA West Midlands consultant in health protection said, We are seeing cases of measles rising every day in the West Midlands. The virus is very infectious and can spread rapidly among communities, such as schools, if people have not had at least one dose of the MMR vaccine. Uptake of MMR in the region is much lower than the 95% needed to protect the population, which is giving this serious disease a chance to get a foothold. That's why it's important that anyone who hasn't had two doses of the MMR vaccine by the time they start full-time school gets immunised as soon as possible. People may not realise how severe measles can be. While most people will recover completely within a couple of weeks, the virus can cause serious illness, sometimes leaving permanent disability and even causing death. People in certain asperis Groups including babies and small children, pregnant women and people with weakened immunity are at increased risk of complications if they catch measles. Most of the measles cases being seen in the West Midlands are in younger children who have not had their vaccines, with some needing hospital treatment. Dr Naveed Saeed added, The MMR vaccine can be given at any age so older children, teenagers and adults can catch up at any time. There is also a version of MNR which uses no pork gelatine in its production, which is ready
4: available on request. There's a new police chief for Coventry. Chief Superintendent Paul Drover takes over from Pete Henrick as the borough commander. He is responsible for all aspects of policing in the area and the force have revealed that he has three priorities. He says he wants to continue to provide a local policing service that works for you, where officers are targeting criminals and securing justice for victims and witnesses. He says he wants to make sure you have the opportunity to be involved in policing, whether that's volunteering, influencing our priorities, shaping how we respond to issues in your neighbourhood, or scrutinising how we use our powers. And he says he wants to do the basics well. On top of that, he wants to build a team who are professional, approachable and representative of Coventry's communities. He will be working alongside his team and speaking to local people. Over the next few years, he says he wants Coventry Police to be recognised as a service that is big enough to cope with everything that's asked of us, while showing that we're small enough to care about the things that really matter to you. Finally, he says the mission of all the officers and staff in the area will be to work in partnership to make the communities of Coventry safer. Before becoming Coventry's local police commander, mm. Paul led the force's criminal investigations department, designing a new local model and the Major major Crime Unit which, the force says, has changed the way in which we deliver, deliver investigations today.
3: Disabled people who need help to get into or stay in work will be able to apply for grants online from April, ministers have announced. Access to work grants are intended to help people with disabilities or physical and mental health conditions to get practical support including special equipment, travel costs, or a sign language interpreter. Work and Pensions Minister Mims-Davis said her department anticipate by April 2024 that a fully digital service will be available, with applicants able to claim for all types of grants. Ryan Kennedy of disability equality charity Scope said the fully digital access to work system could easily be adapted for both employers and access to work to take a more active role in the online claims process, taking the burden off the applicant themselves. He added, access to work, while good in principle, is beset by problems. The system is dogged by delays. Disabled people are waiting a long time for assessments and for their applications to be awarded, which results in delays in them ordering equipment. The government also needs to address low awareness of the scheme by employers and disabled people. Disabled people are pushing hard to get into work and this scheme should be there to fully support them and efficiently when they get into employment. Jackie O'Sullivan, acting CEO of Mencap, welcomed the commitment from ministers, adding that the current system had been an administrative burden on employers and disabled people. The Commons Work and Pensions Committee had previously called for the Access to Work Scheme to be better advertised, to raise awareness of the assistance available to disabled people who want to work. A survey by Unison in 2020 found only 5% of disabled workers had help from Access to to Work to work from home, while 41% did not know about the scheme, and 23% did not think access to work would help them working from home.
4: Two guide dog brothers, born nearly a decade ago, have been reunited in Coventry and cannot wait to spend their golden years together. Carlo and Chips, who are both Labrador cross golden retrievers, were born in 2014 in Henley and Arden before they embarked on their journeys to become guide dogs. After months of specialist training, Carlo qualified as a guide dog in January 2016 with his owner, Charles Bloch, who lives in Coventry. The following month, Chips qualified with his owner in Peterborough. Since then, the two brothers, who came from a litter of eight, have lived separate lives, supporting their owners in their respective cities. Carlo is still partnered with Charles, who has only 10% vision and supported him while he was completing his university degree and when he worked at the Belgrade Theatre in Coventry. In November last year, Charles received the exciting news that Carlo and Chips were going to be reunited. Charles said, Carlo and Chips have crossed paths a few times over the last nine years, and whenever they've seen each other, they've always been inseparable and acted like they were puppies again. Last November... I found out that Chips had retired and was being rehomed. I was so surprised when I discovered that a friend of mine, who also lives in Coventry and volunteers for guide dogs, had been selected as his rehomer. We reunited the brothers for the first time on the 5th of January in the War Memorial Park, where they certainly seemed to recognise each other and had the best time racing around together. Both myself and my friend are part of a local guide dog's fundraising group, so Carlo and Chips will be able to enjoy attending fundraising events together, as well as lots of park trips over the coming months. For some guide dog owners, their retired dog continues to live with them as a pet dog, as they can still meet all the dog's needs. For others, they miss, they, this may be more challenging, so Guide Dogs aims to provide support in finding a suitable retirement home for their dog so that the dog can, lead, can receive the best care in its older years.
3: The demolition of Coventry's Vincent Wiles House is now underway as part of a major regeneration programme to transform an area of Wykin. The £21 million project, which is being conducted by Citizen alongside Waits, is due to be completed over the next four years, with the demolition of Vincent Wiles' house being finished this spring. Plans will also see William Malcolm House demolished later in the year, with Citizen now in the process of rehousing its residence. Once cleared, the site will make way for around 90 homes to be built on the area. Kevin Roach, Director of Regeneration Services at Citizen, said... The demolition of Vincent Wiles' house marks a key milestone in the project and is one that I know the community of Wykin will welcome. We are in the process of developing our plans to redevelop the site with new modern affordable homes and we'll be consulting with the community on the proposals in the spring and summer of this year.
4: Last Monday, January 15th, was billed as Blue Monday, supposedly the unhappiest day of the year. This was all started 20 years ago by psychologist Dr Cliff Arnold who came up with a formula of factors relating to this time of year to back up the claim. It was originally said to have been created by Dr Arnold as a marketing ploy to help travel agents sell holidays. It's always the third Monday of January and this relates to a formula which is W plus capital D minus small d times TQM times NA. For those of you who didn't quite get that, the different variables in the equation are W is the weather. The often cold days at this time of year, dark nights and less daylight. D, capital D, equals debt. The amount of debt people are in after Christmas and the New Year. D, small d, is your monthly salary. For a lot of people who get paid monthly at the end of the month, this is the furthest day after the previous pay pay packet to the next one. T, the amount of time since Christmas. People start to feel that the festive season was a long time ago and for many, all that's left is paying off all the expense. Q equals failed quit attempts. By the third Monday in January, a lot of people's resolutions, health kicks and fitness regimes may well have faltered. M equals low motivational levels. With all the aspects above, people naturally struggle to get motivated at this time of year. And NA is the need to take action to combat the winter blues. The bad news was that the temperature across the West Midlands last Monday did not rise much above zero degrees centigrade. And with the wind chill factor, it felt more like minus five. Sunrise was 8.12am and sunset at 4.23pm, meaning we had just 8 hours 11 minutes of daylight on Blue Monday. The good news, however, was that we had a lot of sunlight throughout the day and also we've now passed Blue Monday.
3: Campaigners have hit out at Seven Trent after several mature trees were felled in Orsley Green. But while the water firm has said the removal of some trees was sadly unavoidable, many residents have claimed the works have been more intrusive and disruptive than they had initially feared. 7th Trent is providing a connection to the public sewer network in Orsley Green, something, it said, it is obligated to do. Coventrians have voiced concerns about the level of disruption and mess the works are causing, claiming there has been mud on adjacent highways and blocked drains. The water firm said drains had not incurred blockages due to the works, but the recent heavy rainfall had caused issues in the area. Woodlands Ward councillors have written to Seven Trent to highlight concerns and have proposed a public meeting with the firm. They have also asked for assurances the landscape would be restored to its original condition and trees reinstated. Councillor Peter Mayle said, We've been inundated with calls from residents about the problems at Orsley Green. The works have led to block drains and mud on the roads, which is creating a real hazard. I've been speaking to officers at the council about how this can be addressed, but the taxpayer must not foot the bill for this muddy mayhem. A spokesman for Seven Trent said, When works take place, we always try to limit any impact on the local environment. We have tried to do this without disturbing the local area as much as possible, but the removal of some trees is sadly unavoidable. All the appropriate consultations and notices were carried out and completed with Coventry City Council and replacement saplings will be planted once works are complete. We would like to reassure residents and councillors that the condition of roads in the area are always monitored and cleared of any
4: mud. A Second World War Roll of Honours picture has been unveiled by Coventry Police to mark a special anniversary celebration. The framed Roll of Honour, released on Coventry Police's X, formerly Twitter, account, depicts the names of brave police officers who served in Coventry between 1939 and 1945. Police have been seeking hidden treasures in Coventry central police station to mark West Midland Police's 50th anniversary. Coventry Police was formed in 1836 and joined West Midlands Police when it was formed on April 1st, 1974. The force incorporated Birmingham City Police with Dudley, Walsall, Wolverhampton, Oldbury, Coventry, Sully Hull, Chelmsley Wood, Sutton Coalfield and Hales Owen. Chief Constable Craig Guilford said, This is an incredibly special year for the force, as we not only look back over five decades, but also look forward to the next 50 years. The force has changed drastically over the years and we are very proud of the modern force that we have today with increasing representation of the diverse communities which we police. One thing is clear, whatever the year on the calendar, police officers and staff have shown the kind of loyalty, dedication and passion for serving the communities of the West Midlands that they will carry, that will carry the force forward into the future. And to finish this week, another happy doggy tale. Christmas was
3: extra special at the Guide Dogs National Centre in Warwickshire with the safe arrival of seven guide dog puppies. Four-year-old golden retriever Pebbles gave birth to four girls and three boys at the charity's breeding centre on Christmas Day morning. The seven puppies will stay with Pebbles until they are two months old after which they will move to live with volunteer puppy raisers across the UK. The charity also has a breeding dog volunteers scheme, sees guide dog mums-to-be living with volunteers full-time, with the costs covered by the charity. They look after the doggy mums like any other pet dog and help them give birth at home to the next generation of guide dogs when the time is right. Breeding dog volunteers have to be over 18 and look after guide dog mums until they retire at around six years of age. After they pass this age, they are given the option to keep the mum they have cared for as a pet. Head of Breeding Operations at Guide Dogs, Janine Dixon, said, We'd like to say a big thank you to the staff members who supported Pebbles with the birth of her litter on Christmas Day morning as well as our staff who worked over Christmas at the National Centre, providing support to our guide dog mums and dads in volunteers' homes. Usually, our guide dog mums will give birth at home, with support from their breeding dog volunteers, whom they live with permanently. Occasionally, our mums need to give birth at our centre instead. And when this is the case, we have a team available to ensure mums and pups receive the best care. Pebbles is a great mum, and we wish her pups the best of luck as they start on their journey to become life-changing guides for people living with sight loss. Woof, woof.
2: Outlook News.
1: So, that uh, completes the roundup of the local news. I must admit, there was an awful lot this week um, from Elaine and Peter. Now, uh, days are getting longer, so I can quite happily tell Yay. you about sun, sunrise and sunset. Sunrise is 8.08, and sunset is 4.23. And with these nice bright mornings we're having this week, it feels, uh, it feels even longer than that, mm. doesn't it?
3: And in an afternoon, you can notice it. You can? Oh, you can, very
1: much yes. yes. You can. However, it is now time to know what's happening at the Resource Centre. Hugh is very tied up, I gather, today, so Joe is here.
5: That's right. Thank you very much indeed. Hello, everybody. It's very nice to be back with you. Uh, <sighs> last minute, as it may be. So yes. Hugh is busy Deep seeing... End, I
1: think. <laughs>
5: <Yeah>. <laughs> Hugh is busy seeing people that are new to the service, so that's a very important job, of course. So, um, yes, to shed a bit of light on what's going on at the centre, that's what I'm here for. Uh, and it's definitely noticeable, isn't it, that the light the lighter oh, evenings yes. are beginning. So Particularly bright days. Yes, sunshine, sunny exactly. days, lovely, isn't So it? Although it is very cold week, so it doesn't feel like we're out of it yet, does it? Nope. Anyway, what have I got to talk to you about this week? Um, I think I'll start by telling you a little bit about what's on here at the centre. So, as you know, we run activities every day, and the, the groups that we wanted to mention have a few places available. Uh, cooking group has just started again. We have very few people in those groups because of the size of our kitchen, which is probably, as you most know, most of you will know, it's very small. And also so that people can get some one-on-one time with tasks that they're doing. So we usually have three or maybe four people in that group at any one time. Uh, plus a couple of volunteers um, The group's just restarting this week um, It runs on a Thursday at 1 o'clock for two hours uh, But we will be keeping a waiting list So if that's something you've been wanting to do for a while Or would have a want, fancy having a go at uh, Please talk to reception, either Heather or Carol Or give us a call And we would be happy to put your name down on our waiting list For the next one when it runs What talk you going to do? All sorts Uh, Yes. I mean, it's basically trying to find help people find ways of getting around tasks that have become difficult or Mm. feel a bit unsafe. So we have, you know, uh, recipes that will just involve the microwave, for example, Mm. trying to do things a bit more that way. Mm. Showing people an easier way of doing things. Easier ways, but also the old ways, but giving confidence about how you can Mm. do things the old way Mm. and feel a bit more safe about it. Mm. Uh, So Chris Norman, for example, who has been running the vegan group previously, vegan cookery. You know, he's somebody who uses the oven gas hob and all sorts of <laughs> things, but he has techniques. <laughs> I know,
1: it's... It it he doesn't it, himself, yeah. Yeah. Well,
5: no, not really. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and there are um, debates one could have about how much risk you want to run in these things, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. a very personal mm-hmm. decision. Mm-hmm. But if people want to try and maintain their independence mm-hmm. and do something they enjoy and mm-hmm. be able to cook for themselves and mm-hmm. maybe others... Uh, we'd like to feel there might be some ways we can encourage mm, that. Mm, and,
3: uh, like, instead of using a pan, you can do whatever you're doing in a jug or a bowl in the microwave. You which could do is it that way, that's right.
5: Or you might find there's a way of putting the pan on the hob, which makes yes. you feel safer. Yeah. And, um, you know, also use of knives. There might be guards, mm. guides that you could use. Mm. Um, but otherwise, I know Chris is very keen on the fact that you can use knives safely if you just you know are careful about how you do it rather than avoiding all of these things so um yeah they they do useful. a whole range of cooking useful and yep. then they eat together which is always oh nice yes. yeah yep. um so if you are interested in cooking please let us know and we'll keep your name down on our waiting list the other group that we started not that long ago is a tai chi group which also runs on a thursday for an hour at two o'clock i love tai chi i haven't done it for regularly for a long while, but it's a very gentle form of exercise, it's basically standing movements, you could do some sitting as well, um, it's very gentle and very relaxing. Is that um, the one the Chinese do in the park? Yes On that's right, the you'll, you'll see <laughs> the sort of arm movements, slow, very slow, those slow those. and measured yep. and thoughtful and yep. very meditative, um, we've got a lovely guy teaching it, we use the Mary Beale, uh, sorry we don't, we use the lounge in the Boston Lodge, Um, And there are some spaces on that too So should you be inspired by Upping your exercise a bit In the new year That might be something to think about It is very gentle Everybody can join in with it Uh, So two o'clock on Thursdays uh, Let us know at reception Give us a call or pop in when you're here And we'll put you on the list A couple of other things from reception really Um, The bonus ball lottery Which most people know about But just to remind you We have the National Lottery bonus ball number. Um, Everybody pays a pound each week to select a number and we check the National Lottery results every week and if your number comes up as the bonus ball number on the National Lottery draw... Then you win half of the takings that we've had for that week. So um, some some weeks it rolls over, so it can be quite a decent amounts of money each each time. Um, so it's lovely. It's just a bit of fun, really, but it's just another little way of earning some, you know, bringing in some fundraising money. So if you want to take up one of the remaining five or six places on that, do let Carol or Heather know, and they will take your money from you uh, when you come in to do the other activities. Um, and another sort of little minor fundraiser but it's also a little bit of a memento to rosie which is we were um we've been keeping uh, rather sentimentally perhaps but we've kept a jar that she always had in her office which she used to collect coins in it's a sort of flask type jar it's quite it's not huge but it's quite a decent like size a carafe. a carafe size that's yeah. right and we thought well why don't we just put that in reception call it rosie's 5p collection jar or collection lottery and we thought if people want to offload their old five p's into it and then we fill it up over time mm. when we've filled it we'll raffle it off yep. and people can win mm. Half which will amount there, to quite
6: a
1: lot
5: it will absolutely How mm.
1: is that possible about just five p's. Would, just you, would you accept tens and twenties?
5: Um, no, <laughs> I suppose it's a five no. p jar really. Okay, no. uh, okay. um, Fine. You, you can give us tens it. and twenties into the donation box in the usual way. Ah, but of course, the yeah. jar, yes. <laughs> the jar is the five p raffle jar. So it, it's a little it. bit of a nod to Rosie and a way of mem- remembering Rosie as well. Yes. So that's a new thing, mm. and it will be I the have, jar will be trouble. in reception on the where the leaflets are kept usually. If mm. it's not there, just ask somebody in reception. Mm. Um, So, a few other things from uh, one that's connected to us and some that aren't. The Criterion Theatre Trip, the next trip that we're doing, is going to be on Wednesday the 20th of March. Um, As you know, we have an evening where we go to the theatre to have a little touch tour uh, pre-opening. The actors come and tell us about the plot and what to expect, and you can go on stage and... inspect the costumes and the equipment that's up there on the stage the set and then we have uh, get back at the centre we have fish and chips together and then we go down to see the performance in the evening it's a nice evening out Um, so the next one is wednesday the 20th of march and tickets for the theatre are 12.50 and then fish and chips will cost on top of that whatever your choice is Um, and of course we will organise minibus uh, so there's a cost for that as well I, th- I think, you know, £20 for a good night out is still pretty good value. Um, so if you would like to come on the next one, you must make sure you sign in, put your name down on the list in reception. Uh, we've got three people so far, and uh, usually it's one minibus full, so... Uh, we've Mm. got seven or eight more places and then if we've got a lot more people we'll try and get two minibuses on the road but it's usually Mm. just the one minibus. And listeners might like to know what it is you're going to see. Of Of course. Thank you. Well spotted. (laughs) So I have the details. Uh, The next play, it's called Dirty Great Love Story and it's by Kate Bonner and Richard Marsh and what I've got here in front of me tells me the plot. It's a very... A wry, funny, sweet-natured variation on the archetypal boy meets girl story. Nice nerdy Richard and lately dumped Katie meet when a stag night and hen party collide and end up having a drunken one-night stand. Over the following months they acquire new partners and when their respective best friends get hitched they fleetingly meet at a wedding a christening and a muddy pop festival. R- wittily written at times in rhyme The Pleasure of the Piece Lies in the Language. It premiered in August 2012 as part of the Edinburgh Fringe. So there you are, there's a little summary of what to expect. It sounds like fun. Um, And lastly, a couple more things just to mention. Uh, I think you mentioned last week that King's College London are um, running a competition for blind and partially sighted writers. Now our creative writing group, Jess, uh, is aware of this and will probably be looking at work that they've already done but any individual can enter Uh, so the the absolute limit on the words, the piece that you submit is no more than a thousand words for prose or 50 lines for poetry and work has to be in by 5pm on Friday the 2nd of February So if you are a a closet writer or somebody who thinks something you've done might be nice to submit, then um, if you want more information about where to send things, we can help you with that. Um, So let us know. Or if you don't want to let us know, just ask for the email address and we'll send that out to you. Prizes are there to be won. First prize of £250. Um, But it's rather nice to see something happening specifically for blind and partially sighted people, isn't it? It is. They don't mind what you write about. It doesn't it's have to be about your sensory...
1: Rightly, you can do an audio, but you must uh, be accompanied by a written version of it as well.
5: Uh, right, let me just see we what they said. that last right, week. I right, remember. OK, that may, be case, yes. that may be the case then. If there's any questions, you know, you fancy having a go and you've got any questions, just let us know and we'll, we'll try and answer them. Um, Says we are keen to explore and celebrate how people with sight loss experience and enjoy museums, art, and objects. But they are very happy for you to write about anything. Yes, create an audio description from your perspective if you wish to. Yep. So, good, that's that. And I think lastly, oh no, two more things. Um, at the Resource Centre, I think Hugh has mentioned that we are upgrading our IT room. Uh, with new computers and screens. We are moving forward with that. We have the screens now sitting in my office, covering most of the desk, um, and I'm about to go and collect the PCs, the new PCs, on Friday morning. Uh, This has all come through a grant made available, uh, the West Midlands Adaptive funding grant which the council country council have been making available so i made an application for it and we were successful so we're getting uh, a good few thousand pounds worth of equipment so it'll be allow us to upgrade everything and make sure that everything is working properly and should speed up everything what we do need is to make before we put the new equipment in place we need everybody who uses the computers if you are somebody who works on a document or saves anything personal onto the computers or onto a memory stick for example we want to make sure that we organize storage of work properly we might have to do it a bit differently we will not be saving things onto the local computers anymore so if you're somebody who's got work on a local computer here at the it suite please let your volunteer know and we will try and we will obviously make sure that people don't lose any work that's important to them But we we, we will be tidying up how we keep data, because that's quite important. And lastly, um, this is a piece of news from Robert Franklin. Thank you, Robert, um, mentioning that an organisation called LEAP, uh, L-E-A-P, they're offering free energy advice for healthy homes, and that is available to anyone living with a disability or in receipt of disability or income benefits and that includes people with sight loss. Uh, so if you do want any advice on making best use of your heating system at home or upgrading your boiler or anything else at all, it would be something you could talk to them about. Uh, so the phone number that I have, I've just checked their, their website, is 0800 060 7567. We'll keep that information in
1: reception, so if you're Do not sure... Your free uh, advice. Yes, it's and free. And there's no sales pitch either.
5: No, it's yep. completely uh, yep. non-profit. Good. Yep. So there we are. Thank you all very thank much for me. listening. Nice to uh, be back in the chair here, and I'll <laughs> see you again sometime. hot
1: seat, is say. In the hot yeah. seat. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Jo. We'll see you sometime soon again. So that's, uh, that's Jo on the round-up of what's happening here. Despite this winter weather, there's still plenty of sport for Sarah to tell you about.
0: Outlook sport.
7: Yes, hello there, listeners, and welcome to sport. Now, I could start off with a bit of a fantasy fairy tale, but instead, I won't. Instead, I will be more factual makes a change, they all say, and tell you about Saturday's Coventry City football match. Now, we were playing the Leicester, our arch-rivals, or one of them. We also hate the Villa, but they're in an upper league. So, anyway, might only be 26 miles away, but my gosh, there is no shared like between us two and we do like to sit on them so it was a lunchtime kickoff and indeed it was televised Mm. but nevertheless there was a crowd there Of over 29,000. To be honest, that's one of the reasons I don't go. I just can't cope with my vision and my mobility issues with a big crowd like that. Leicester are top of the league before the match by 15 points. Oh dear. Hey ho, let's settle down and listen to the match. Yes, yes, Coventry having a very bright start. Oh, sugarations, they have been awarded a penalty. And from what Oggy says, Steve agrees of it. It was a bit of a very fortuitous penalty. Anyway, it soon converted. Score, Coventry nil, Leicester one. It all continued much of a muchness for the rest of that half. And then, my my pocket buzzed. Well, actually, the phone was in my pocket, and I have texts coming through to my pocket. And on the 42nd minute, they had a player sent off straight red card for a rather nasty foul. Hmm... Very positive talk during the half time. Come on city, knock them in now, you've got an extra man. But it's all carried on, nil, one. I couldn't stand it anymore. I thought, this carpet needs vacuuming. So I got the vacuum cleaner out and it drowned out the radio. But then my, f- my pocket buzzed again. Oh, Lord, what's happened? Have they scored again? No. Callum O'Hare has scored for us on the 77th minute. Wow. There was talk on the radio of a successful finish, you know, a draw would be a good result against Leicester, given their current position. I sat down and listened to a bit more of the match. But it was near in the end. So I went back to vacu... Oh no, I went this time to make myself a cup of coffee. And then you probably guessed it. My pocket buzzed again. I could hardly dare look. 2-1. Coventry City. Good grief. What's going on? The players haven't read the script, as I always like to say. I sat down this time in front of the radio and then, oh I should have said the second goal was scored by our Dutch player Van Ayak. and then into injury time we scored again that Calamo O'Hare guy so the match finished Coventry 3 Leicester 1 That leaves us in sixth place That means that at the moment As things stand And there's a long way to go We are in the playoff zone And the great thing is We have a really positive goal difference Now Well Sit on the Leicester we certainly sat on them. Now next Saturday, we're heading up north, as I like to put it, to Sheffield to play Sheffield Wednesday in the league. That match is a 3pm kickoff on the Saturday. However, the following Friday, that is January the 26th, we are going up north again. To play Sheffield Wednesday again at Hillsborough but this time it's a Friday kickoff at 7.45 and it's the next round the fourth round of the FA Cup so come on City if you can beat the Leicester surely you can beat Sheffield Wednesday surely now staying with the mighty game of football but down a few leagues stratford town beat barwell 2-1 and are now within one point of the playoffs come on ye bards meanwhile Lemington's match Lemington, you may recall are already in the playoff zone they were due to play colville But that was postponed as Colville are still in the FA Trophy and had a fixture. Sadly, Nuneaton lost away to St Ives 3-0. So their problems continue both on and off the pitch. However, on a brighter note, our area's leading women's team, Rugby Borough, beat Cheltenham three goals to nil well done ladies now looking at the facebook page i could find nothing about coventry rugby club's so-called fixture last friday evening that i told you about i had only seen that on the bbc website but using the same website it looks as if this coming Saturday, the 20th of January, they are away to London, Scottish, with a 3pm kickoff. Now, moving wider with sport. Well done to the great British cycling team, who finished top, Of the medal table at the European Championships Looking good cyclists You know what's coming in July The Olympics Yay Because the cyclists have been a bit down in the dumps recently And not doing very well But it looks as if they're finally regrouping So here's hoping Well done also to Great Britain's women's water polo team who've made it into the world championships. They might drown in the first round, but who cares? Water polo is not exactly one of our national sports like it is in many of the Mediterranean countries who indeed have outdoor water polo rinks I wouldn't like to swim outdoors in this weather Now, on to the bigger story The Australian Tennis Open began on Sunday That was only because I'm recording Monday afternoon 36 hours ago So I haven't really got much I can say at this point Hopefully more next week But... Into the main tournament went seven Brits although already two were out including Sir Andy who has hinted quote-unquote there is a definite possibility of it being the last Australian Open for Andy Yes Andy the time may have come but I said that to Rafa last week, and was he listening? Nah, he'll be back. Also back, but now sadly out after the first round, is Naomi Osaka, who returns to the Open Tennis after a break having a baby. So she may be out, but she's got a little one at home to look after. Now, this made me smile, so it's a bit of an and finally, but also on the Australian Open. In the first round, Jokovic played Prisnic. Prisnic was a qualifier from Croatia and Jokovic described the first round match, which took over four hours and saw Prisnic taking the second set as Like looking in a mirror in other words he saw a bit of himself in it and indeed there was seemed to be quite a lot of friendliness on the court which was so fantastic to see for me because I hold Croatia very deep in my heart and I've been there many times we're talking about 20 times but For so long, Croatia and Serbia, where of course Jokovic comes from, were absolute daggers drawn and indeed they were at war and my little Dubrovnik was under siege and it was burnt out and bombed, etc. So, to hear Jokovic be very favourable with Prisnic, which again was something you would never have seen on the tennis court a few years ago, was wonderful. But then, of course, I had a thought. Who is Novak Djokovic's coach? None less than the greatest ever Croatian tennis player, Ivan Isovic. Yeah! Good old Goran. And that has been your somewhat silly sport this week. But I'm in a silly mood. Anyway, have a great week. Bye.
1: Winter weather, water polo in January in Great Britain. No, thank you. Now let's find out what's turned up in Dave's Postbag for this
0: week. This is Postbag. <laughs>
2: the discussion
8: hello there and welcome to your post bag and it is your post bag a spot that's all yours you provide the content all I do is present it. Now, all you have to do is ring up the Resource Centre on 24 76 522 and press 5 for Coventry Talking Newspaper and start speaking and Bob's your uncle or in any other way you feel happiest. Now, we welcome Derek this week to start us off. He's got a comment to make about the prescription ordering service or POD, that's coming to an end on the 31st of March. Good afternoon, this is Derek Hedley. Happy New Year
1: to everyone. I'm leaving the message for um postbag. I'm phoning in respect of POD being shut down from the 31st of March. What a complete waste of money that was by the government. I wonder if we ever find out how, much that, how many millions are spent on that. Anyway, we're supposed to be using an app in future. I wondered if anyone has downloaded it and started to use it yet. If so, visually impaired or sighted, could you leave, give us feedback on how easy it is and how efficient the
8: app system is? Thank you very much for your assistance. Cheers all, Derek Hepley. Thank you, Derek. They recommend you sign up for the NHS Patient App or Patient Access App. You can download it to your phone from your App Store or Google Play. Let us know what you think of it. I have been phoning the surgery and pressing 2 for the prescription service. I'm hoping I can keep on doing that. Sometimes we could do with a fairy godmother to help us out with life's little problems. But here's the latest report from Julia with which I've been asked to do a Frankie Howard impersonation, which I'm not very good at. It's entitled, I Touched Up the Fairy Godmother. Ooh, uh, missus. And, uh, well, it was a touch tour at the Belgrade. I touched them all. I touched the ugly sisters, Cinderella, and Buttons. They all had big boobs, hairy legs, and high heels. They were just like my friend John the Saturday night out. My favourite was Cinders, who had a purple dress, bow, and diamonds in her hair. Come to think of it, my friend John wears that too on a Saturday night. We had terrific seats for the show, and even my miserable friend enjoyed it.' That's Jen. (laughs) Well, we've got a new year coming and I wonder what it will bring us all. Maybe my friend John will cheer up and stop being rude to people. Perhaps that nice Mr. Sunak will harness up his reindeer and give us all a new year bonus. Or maybe pigs will start flying and bacon will go up again. Whatever happens, let's hope it's better than the last year. I'm looking forward to the new Monday Club year. I like the speakers best, especially speakers like Alex, who included us. Alex showed me how to play the Do, and I did. See you all next year, everyone. Julia Well, this is Julia playing the Digi-We-Do-A game. It starts with a Monday Club member, Francis telling her what she has to do. Francis is very helpful to her as Julia is deaflined. Because of Julia. Julia, as
7: though you're blowing a big raspberry. Just like that.
2: Okay. Have
8: a <laughs> go. Yeah. <laughs> that was great, Julia. <laughs> Push it a little bit harder
1: against your mouth. Okay. Great. Like okay. right. And then just a bit more on the lips, a bit more... Thank you.
2: Great, excellent. Now, a little bit more gently, and you'll have it. Yes, all good. Great,
8: that's really good. Well done, Julia. Going back to Frankie Howard, I'll let you into a secret about him. Sheila worked on Smith Clark Children's Ward at Coventry and Warwickshire Hospital. Frankie Howard, when he was appearing at the Coventry Theatre, used to come onto the ward, insisting on no publicity and visit every day a young boy who was dying of cancer I think he was 8 years old he also bought him a TV set to watch Sheila said what a kind man Frankie Howard was And unless I've mentioned the story before, that's the first time you will have heard it. And thank you, Julia. Make sure you go along to the next pantomime touchstore, because they're really good. Edwina couldn't go to the touchstore, unfortunately. Otherwise, I'd have taken her. This is the second part of Edwina's holiday in her home. County of Oxfordshire where she was given two nights in a hotel in any part of the country of her choosing. This week she talks about going to Didcot.
6: So we moved on and went to Didcot. When I went to Didcot, I visited one of my cousins Hazel, before we went and looked at the shop because she had been ill for some time, and I hadn't seen her for a long time. When I say we went to the shop, I was absolutely amazed, because I hadn't been round Diglett for years. Dicker used to just be a small town with a big Tesco and opposite a co-op, and that was it, and the market. But now, it's got three cafes and lots of shops. So it's a busy little town now. The next day, we had the supply that we would uh, go down to Wantage. As you go into Wantage, you go past what's called Lark Hill. Now, at lark here is where my granny's sister, my late great-aunt Bess, lived. And I used to visit her regularly. remember my dad when I was down there? And opposite was all big fields full of corn. Years ago, they used to have what they call the threshers, And the threshers came early up with the lark to walk past Great Aunt Bessie's house to the cornfields to thresh by hand. So this is something that I wanted to visit again. Sylvia drove to Lark Hill and suddenly she said to me we are driving on Lark Hill I was that surprised because it was simply a grassy bank with a little path but this was actually a road with two pavements and all houses that had been built on the fields where the cornfields were There's been so much change. It was unbelievable.
8: And now, Graham Whale has a comment to make about singer and BBC presenter Sandra Godley, who's been honoured by the King.
2: Well, it's interesting to know that um, Sandra Godley has uh, been awarded, I don't know whether it's an MBE or an OBE or what it is now, but I'm surprised that they are still referring to her as a CWR, Uh, presenter. Uh, I've not heard her since she lost her Sunday morning breakfast programme to Donna somebody. I can't remember what her name is now. I've heard others Patricia George seems to be popping up all over the place, filling in for people even Molly Green who I mentioned was in tears when she said goodbye to her Saturday morning uh, listener on WM seems to be standing in for people on both WM and CWR, but as I say, I've not heard Sandra Godley on CWR since uh, she lost her Sunday morning breakfast programme, so uh, (laughs) maybe she'll pop up sometime, I don't know, but uh, yeah, I I don't think we'll hear her again anyway, not on CWR.
8: Well, when Sandra Godley, now OBE, announced that she was forming a Gospel Ability Choir, which aims to give people with mental and physical challenges a chance to perform, I announced it on Outlook and encouraged users of the Resource Centre to go along to the audition at Coventry Cathedral.' The late Linda Hall thought it was wonderful. She achieved her ambition to sing in front of the baptistry window of the cathedral. Mark Hall he spoke confidently to the judges, and Amy, who was on holiday at the time, joined the choir at a later date. Their first performance was to sing at St. James's Palace just after Harry and Meghan's wedding. I was pleased to have encouraged that. I'm sorry about the low quality of recordings from the phone-ins. Please keep trying. We'll try and get it sorted if we can. Uh, Graham asked why the recordings from Doreen Hilton are much better than the phone-ins. Well, Doreen rings me up on my home phone on 02476598484, as you are welcome to do, to have a chat, and I asked her if she has a message that she would like to record for postbag. I used the phone extension that Sheila used to use by her armchair. I put it on speaker and amplify, and hold my digital recorder a few inches away, looking at the levels, making sure it doesn't go into distortion, and the results are usually very good. During lockdown, I used this system to interview a shepherdess that way, who talked to Sheila as well, as myself, and also Karen Bucknell, a cancer and brain tumour survivor, who is now an inspirational beauty queen and model. And she got uh, titles like Miss Magical Smile. That's all from Postbag. Thank you for your messages. Tell us what you've been doing lately. And it does make me happy to receive your messages thank you if you sent me a Christmas card I had to pay £5 though to the Royal Mail because of insufficient postage and it turned out to be a Christmas card the listener did stick a stamp on it but it was purchased over the internet and it was a forgery so uh, support your local shop or post office And buy stamps there. Uh, They need your support with all the scandals about prosecuting and jailing sub postmasters. Maybe you'd, you'd like to comment on that. Okay, thank you. Please let's hear from you next time and
0: bye for now.
7: This is Outlook You can contact Postbag
0: Our website is www.talkingnewspaper.org.uk Our email address is postbag at talkingnewspaper.org.uk
2: Join in the discussion on Postbag
1: Well, that was Dave with your postbag for this week and lots more messages we'd like to have from you, I'm sure Dave keeps reminding you. Uh, now, I'm also sure many listeners will be familiar with the name Edith Cavell, who was executed by the Germans during the war for being a spy. New evidence, though, about Edith has been discovered by Helen Fry, and Keith tells this courageous story.
9: The German firing squad stood stony-faced weapons at the ready as the lone woman was led blindfolded to face their guns. It was 2am on October 12, 1915, pitch black and cold on the outskirts of Brussels, and there would be no second chances, nor mercy. Accused of spying and found guilty of espionage during a two-day trial, 49-year-old British nurse Edith Cavell faced her executioners with immense courage after being sentenced to death. Just hours before her execution, a British chaplain administered the last rites. He would recall she was brave and bright to the last. She professed her Christian faith and was glad to die for her country. Suddenly, multiple shots rang out and Cavell's lifeless body fell to the ground. Her killings sent shockwaves throughout the British Empire and within the corridors of Whitehall. But what was the truth about Cavell's activities? It's well documented that at the outbreak of war in 1914, she was working at, as a nurse at 149 Rue de la Couture in the Belgian capital. Following the fall of Brussels, she stayed behind, hiding British and French soldiers and arranging for them to be smuggled to the safety of neutral Holland. It was perilous work and involved many secret meetings in her home. But did she cross the line into actively spying for her country? And was her controversial execution at the hands of a firing squad justified, given that there was no protection under the Geneva Convention for Espionage, nor special status for women. Portraying her as an innocent victim, the British said she was murdered, whipping up hatred towards Germany and driving recruitment in both the First and Second World Wars. Historians have been divided ever since as to the true nature of her activities. But in my new book, Women in Intelligence, I can put this debate to rest once and for all. During my research, I discovered bombshell files in London and Brussels, confirming conclusively that, yes, Edith Cavell was a spy for the British. Thanks to my inquiries, it's possible to go even further. The files I uncovered sensationally revealed that she was in fact a spy mistress, the founder and head of an intelligence network that operated behind enemy lines. She recruited spies, couriers, forgers and agents for the network. They used traditional spycraft, including Invisible Ink, to correspond and smuggle messages out to the British. These files also list the names of every single one of her agents, Belgian men and women, who worked for her network, including summaries of their roles, and signed eyewitness accounts from each. Written in 1920, their testimonies form an official archive that remained classified by the Belgian government for decades. Today they provide us with the first extensive and unequivocal evidence of espionage by the Cavell organisation. In London, MI5 opened a personal file on Cavell in which it gathered evidence from aristocratic women who had worked for her and it opened a separate file on her betrayer, Georges Gaston Quillon. Intelligence officer Sigismund Payne Best detailed members of Cavell's network. He confirmed that one Louise Tullies travelled to Cambrai to obtain plans of German ammunition depots and took the diagrams to an agent in Brussels to pass on to his contact in British intelligence. Louise and her sister, Albertine Hullet, wrote letters in invisible ink containing intelligence and these were secretly forwarded to MI1C, the forerunner of MI6. The female members of the network notified British intelligence of the whereabouts of men suspected of working for the Germans as agents and spies, and Cavell was their spy mistress. The files also revealed that one of Cavell's agents was dispatched on a top-secret mission from Brussels to the Admiralty in London, at one point staying with future Prime Minister Winston Churchill then First Lord of the Admiralty. What was imparted to Churchill remains classified even to this day. After three days the agent returned to Belgium where he handed over his precious mail from London, the contents of which have never been disclosed. These were dangerous times and the risks were known. Gavell was suspicious of being watched and immediately notified London. After her death, the British Secret Service mounted an investigation. A betrayer, Kion, was a courier for the network, but also a German agent. He was executed. Another man, Armand Jean, was given a life sentence for his part in the betrayal. As a result of their treachery, Cavell and thirty five members of her organization, thirteen of them women, were rounded up. Twenty six of them were subsequently found guilty, and five, including Cavell, received the death penalty. The death sentences were later commuted to life imprisonment except of Cavell and her co conspirator, Philippe Bolk.
1: And the conclusion of Edith's story from Keith next week. On the same wartime, uh, of, of the same wartime era, but in a completely different setting, is the long-running and much-loved TV sitcom Dad's Army. Very early radio recordings featuring the original cast were almost consigned to oblivion by the BBC, but have now been brought back to life as hand-drawn cartoons. Here's Bill to tell us more.
10: Don't know who thought it was a good idea to save money by wiping the two-inch master tapes of hundreds of classic BBC shows and recording new television programmes over the top. But should their identity ever come to light, they might safely be addressed in Mannering style as, you stupid boy. Alongside half of Peter Cook and Dudley Moore's not only, but also, many Top of the Pots programmes, 100 episodes of Doctor Who, and at least five Dad's Army episodes were lost, thanks to the misguided penny-pinching. The latter, featuring the hapless Home Guard of Warmington-on-Sea, was originally broadcast between 1968 and 1977. The wartime sitcom still enjoyed by millions of fans, more than half a century on. Now those five missing episodes, never seen since their original transmission, have been recreated using audio recordings by the Dad's Army cast, painstakingly married to hand-drawn cartoons. The five-part series, in which the lost episodes, written by Jimmy Perry and David Croft, Returned to our screens as animated specials. Animations have been synced to the voices of the original actors, including Arthur Lowe, Don LeMazurier, and Clive Dunn. At Zami, animations has been produced by the award winning team behind recent animated episodes of Doctor Who, comprising, among others, director Charles Norton. Celebrated comic book artist Martin Geraghty. Three of the episodes are from the show's second series, first broadcast in 1969. The other two are shorter Christmas Night with the Stars specials from 1968 to 1970. It wasn't part of the BBC's remit to maintain and archive all of its programmes explains Norton. would be a master tape broadcast on BBC One. A copy would have been made onto black and white film used to broadcast the show overseas. After a few years, master tape would be erased and used to record new programmes, at which point the only surviving copy was the film recording. After Colour TV came in, it became less marketable, in the mid-1970s, the BBC had a big clear-out. While most of the modern-day team worked from home in the UK, with occasional meetings at the BBC studios in London, other team members were fevering away around the globe. One of our animators was based in Queensland, Australia. Three were in America, and one was in Vietnam, says Norton kept in contact via email and Zoom. It took nine months from the first storyboard meeting in Manchester for the delivery of the final animated episodes. It was a painstaking job for all concerned. I transcribed the audio for each episode and worked out my shots and editing on the printouts of those scripts, Horton explained. This produced pretty much the same kind of written camera script David Croft would have used on the original TV productions. Then, I sat down with our storyboard artist, Adrian Salmon, went through every shot, sketching things out and even acting out the action ourselves. Adrian went away and drew up shots in rough based on our conversation and my notes on the camera script. These were sometimes revised several times before the finalized for the finished storyboards. The animation process started with character designers Martin Geraghty drawing the characters, first in pencil and in ink, before they were scanned. Meanwhile, other aspects of the production were happening, such as background plates being painted onto watercolor paper before scanning and required to draw likenesses of famous and well-loved TV characters, there's always an element of trepidation, amidst Geraghty. Thankfully, I think this cast in particular lend themselves very well to caricature and animation. The likenesses are good, particularly of Lowe as mannering, and the scowling on Laurie as a private fraser. When asked which actor was most difficult to draw, Percy picks Le Mazurier, plays the languid Sergeant Wilson. He's not as cartoonish as the rest of the cast, he smiles. The others are very recognisable visual trademarks, whereas John is quite diffident. The laissez-faire demeanour isn't easy to capture, although the animators have done a terrific job bringing him to life. Of those easier to capture chooses Fraser, played by Laurie. He was great fun to draw, his wild eyebrows and an air of simmering belligerence, Miles Geraghty. An integral part of each animated episode is syncing the words for the animation. The bulk of the character animation was completed using Adobe Animate, and it's a case of going through each shot, frame by frame, getting the ra- right mouth shape for each sound the character makes as Norton. It's much faster than if you were doing the whole thing on paper with an animation disc. All the episodes he worked on, he says that the 1968 Christmas special, Falls Apart, is his favourite it's due to the touching section at the end, a mannering thanks to the platoon for their dedication, he says. It's a nice reminder that, whatever else happens, it is a group of people who genuinely care about each other and would probably be prepared to die for each other. They are friends, first and foremost. Charity, meanwhile, opts for the loneliness of the long-distance walker, It has some great gags in it, and offered James Beck, who played Private Walker, a nice central role in the episode. Sadly, Beck's voice does not appear in the animation. This is because, when the cast came to record episodes for Radio 4 in 1973, which provided some of the audio for the new animations, Beck was too ill to take part, and indeed died soon afterwards. He was understudied by an actor with a quite different voice. For the animated version, Norton cast actor David Benson, who has Noel Coward, Frankie Howard, and Kenneth Williams in his vocal repertoire, do a pitch-perfect impersonation. The loneliness of the long-distance walker was among Jimmy Perry's favourite episodes too. He once explained to me, when it came to dreaming up ideas for all the episodes, we often focused on issues which affected society during the war, such as rationing. We're all in the same boat. Other times, we chose subjects which affected us. This is a lovely episode, in which Walker discovers he's got an allergy corned beef. It was partly based on the fact that I was allergic to mustard pickle. If I ate it, I'd swell up, have to be taken to sick bay. Didn't know a lot about allergies those days.
1: So that's even more Dad's army to have a good chocolate. Dame Judy Dench, the great actress from Stratford and Avon, is a real animal lover, and this story of her passion is written by Alison James and read by Sue.
11: As perhaps the most treasured of all our national treasures, a tag she dislikes but simply cannot escape, it's a given that Dame Judy Dench is one of our finest actresses, if not the finest. She has, after all, in her possession an Academy Award, a Tony, six British Academy Film Awards, four British Academy Television Awards, seven Laurence Olivier's, and countless other nominations. She also has a passion for the Bard, and in her recently published book, Shakespeare, The Man Who Pays the Rent, She opens up about every Shakespearean role she has played throughout her long, uber-illustrious career. What is less well-known about Dame Judy, however, is her passion for animals and the profound part they've played in her life since childhood. The biggest clue came four years ago when she played Old Deuteronomy in the 2019 film adaptation of Andrew Lloyd Webber's smash hit musical Cats. I suppose it starts with the fact that when I was a child, growing up in York during the war, we had 16 cats, chuckles the 88-year-old star of stage and screen. Yes, 16. My pa was a doctor for people not just in the city itself but also the outlying areas which included quite a few farms. Sometimes he'd be given a chicken or a duck to bring back for us to eat. Food was so scarce at the time and we were terribly lucky. The cats in the area soon got wind of this having been fed the scraps and so that's how we ended up with sixteen. Having shared her life with pets from such a young age, Dame Judy feels animals have much to teach children about life. It's such a good thing for children to have animals around, she continues. It's so beneficial. It makes them very, very much aware of the responsibility that comes with caring for creatures. The experience of having a dog, cats, a hamster or whatever... When my grandson Sammy was small, he had a pet rat. It's about understanding something different, and how caring for animals is terribly important. And if you start, you know, with a child with a pet, and you teach your child those things, I mean, then, with any luck, that child will go on all his or her life to care about the well-being of animals. It's not just children who benefit from contact with animals either. We all do. Recently, I went to see a friend who was very, very ill. And on her bed was a wonderful cat who just wandered about and was allowed to jump up. And well, I can't think of anything nicer than having a cat jump up and lie down in your bed beside you. What a wonderful comfort. I don't have any animals in the house at the moment, but it's the first time in a very long time that I haven't. What Dane Judy does have, though, is an adopted bear in Vietnam, who has been rescued by the Animals Asia Foundation, which is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. They are known as bile bears because their stomachs are tapped by the most excruciating methods for their stomach bile, believed to be a cure for all manner of ailments in the Far East. They are permanently trapped from birth in cages barely larger than their bodies and kept half-starved in order to produce bile. When they are no longer able to produce, they are left to die in their cages. Animals Asia campaigns for an end to all bear bile farming in Asia and has two rescued bear sanctuaries in China and Vietnam. Dane Judy has sponsored the bear, whom she has named Finty, after her much loved daughter. She's hoping to visit Vietnam before too long in order to meet Finty the bear, accompanied by Finty the daughter, 51 and grandson Sammy, now 26. I was told about the plight of these bears by my good friend, actor Peter Egan, she explains. I saw pictures not very long ago of cages all together with the bears, so cramped that some could barely stand up or turn around. You can't do that to an animal. When I found out I could adopt a bear, I jumped at the chance. Calling the bear Finty immediately made it a personal thing, as if the bear was a member of a family. I'm hoping to adopt another bear, whom I'll call Sammy. This cause and the amazing work Animals Asia do needs publicising. The suffering these beautiful animals go through is unspeakable.
1: This lovely account of Dame Judy's Love of Animals will conclude next week. We're now going back in history to the early 20th century and life in commentary in hurdy-gurdy
0: days with Alan. One night there came into the pub at the bottom of our court a mysterious visitor not known in the district. All the locals looked at one another when he came through the door into the bar and went straight onto the counter, whispering to each other, but no one seemed to know who he was. The landlord was equally puzzled. Usually he knew every one of his customers, as they were every night of the week. They spent most of their money there, and had precious little to take home to their wives on a Friday, when they paid for their beer they had on the slate during the week. Their homes were comfortless places, and the pubs only a shade better, with sawdust and spittoons on the floor, and small tables with iron legs, and wooden forms to sit on, but they liked the company they met there. The young man who had just entered was obviously not their class, though. He dressed like them with a cloth cap and a muffler round his deck. He had fair hair and blue eyes, quite a good looker, they said. He was about thirty years of age and about five foot eight inches tall, and when he ordered his pint of bitter, he spoke in a cultured voice. Picking up the beer, he went and sat down at one of the tables, amongst the other men, looking round as he did so at the inquisitive faces of the regulars. The general hubbub of the bar ceased, and it was uncannily quiet for the greyhound. Everybody seemed to be expecting trouble. The landlord looked uneasy too, but the young man just said, "'Good evening, gentlemen,' in such a quiet, pleasant voice, smiling as he did so, and it sounded as everyone answered, "'Good evening,' back. He stayed for about an hour, chatting to one another of the general topics such as the weather, the price of a pint— "'racing, and all the subjects that go with a pub, "'then left as suddenly as he had coming, saying, "'Well, good-night, gentlemen, I must be off.' "'When he had gone, there was a general discussion "'as to who he was, and could be, and where he had come from. "'Nobody had a clue, except the landlord, "'and he had an idea he had seen in one of the local shops in the town, "'having an argument with a shopkeeper "'over the price of an article he wanted to purchase.' and he was wearing a clerical collar. On Saturday evening the bar was full to overflowing, everybody talking at once, and as the beer flowed, so the talk got louder and louder. About eight o'clock the stranger came in, and again this time the landlord had no doubt. He was the person he had seen at the shop. He wasn't there on Sunday, but on Monday he was there again, chatting away on all sorts of subjects, over his one pint of bitter getting quite friendly with the men. After he had gone, they began to argue amongst themselves as to who he might be, as he had what they called a toff's voice. They thought perhaps he was one of the actors from the opera house, rehearsing his part as a working man and getting to know their ways. This went on until Wednesday night, and by now they were all curious and stopped talking to stare at him when he came in. The landlord was very amused, as by now he was quite sure he was a parson, and wondered what he was up to. But his money was as good as the rest, so why worry, he thought. After the young man left, there was a heated discussion amongst one or two of our men, our dad included. His pal, Sam Toms, was older than he was. He had a beard, which always reminded us of Father Christmas. When he had a couple of pints, he got very excited and was inclined to quarrel. This particular night our dad had consumed more than enough, and was all ready for an argument. After a while he bet Sam a pint, that he daren't ask the man if he was a parson. He daren't himself, and he knew that old Sam couldn't resist a free pint. "'Who doesn't I ask him, I know?' said old Sam. "'with a vision of a free pint before his eyes. "'But the young man did not come in again until Friday. "'By this time old Sam's courage had begun to fail, "'and he whispered to Dad, "'Here, I reckon he ain't no parson. "'He's a bloody actor.' "'No, he ain't,' the others shouted, overhearing what he said. "'You're backing out. You're backing out. "'You don't ask him.' "'When the young man walked through the door, "'all eyes turned to Sam.' The bar was full, and it couldn't have any better night for the parson. Sam waited until he was well and truly oiled, and then, full of beer courage, he sauntered up to the young man, who was sitting, talking to one of Sam's mates. Everyone was watching. But our dad kept well in the rear. He wasn't the pushing sort. This was the very moment the parson had waited for so patiently all this time. He knew full well what was in the men's minds, and that sooner or later one of them would have to have the courage to ask him who he was. So he was ready. When Sam finally got up to him, he went straight to the point, having rehearsed his little piece over and over again to himself. He blurted out quick-like, Oi, is it true you're a parson, and is it what you're doing in here? You ought to be in church, that's your proper place, and where's that there dog collar you're supposed to be wearing? You've no business with that sheer cap on.' Stom stopped to get his breath after that long speech. The young man was by now on friendly terms with all the men, calling them all by their Christian names. As they stopped talking and were watching and waiting for his answer, he said, standing with, up with his pint in one hand, looking round the bar, "'Well, Sam, it's quite true I am a parson.' He whipped off his muffler, revealing a dog collar, if you would rather I came in here with this showing, well, that's all right by me, if you chaps don't mind, that is. Well, what about that you paint your marin? Said Sam, for us to say. Well, what about it? I paid for it the same as you, haven't I? Said the parson. Well, old Sam didn't know what to say after that, and all went quiet, feeling a proper fool with everybody at the bar staring at him. Our dad came to the rescue and said. Uh, well, uh, Sam, you won your pint. Here it is. The parson, seizing his opportunity, said, What's this you say? He has actually won a pint just by asking me if I am a parson. Well, well, I will stand another pint all round. If you dare to come to my church and hear me preach next Sunday. At this there was a roar of laughter, and they said, Ah, oh, we'll come for a pint. By God, we will. As quick as lightning, he took them up on it. Right, chaps, that's a deal. I'll find you all special seats in the back row of the gallery. I'll be at Christchurch door at 6.15 p.m. The service starts at 6.30. Now don't let me down or no pint on Monday night. And with that he went out of the door, chuckling to himself all down the street, having won the first round all right, and feeling sure they would come because of the free pint.
1: And, as a contrast, a very short interview of poetry. Here's Margaret with a poem, Silver, written by Walter D'Amer.
7: Slowly, silently, now the moon walks the night in her silver shoon. This way and that she peers and sees silver fruit upon silver trees. One by one the casements catch her beams beneath the silvery thatch. Couched in his kennel like a log, with paws of silver sleeps the dog. From their shadowy coat the white breasts peep of doves in a silver-feathered sleep. A harvest mouse goes scampering by, with silver claws and silver eye, and moveless fish in the water gleam, by silver reeds in a silver stream."
1: A famous tradition which dates back to Anglo-Saxon times is Wassailing, a ceremony of music and song to ensure a good harvest in the coming year. Traditionally held on tw- the Twelfth Night, Dave went to Orsley Wall Garden to find out more about it.
8: Hello, I'm speaking to you from allsley Walled Garden and I'm here for a wassailing, the wassailing of the apple trees. I'm speaking to gardener Keith Draper now, so how, long, how old is the garden, first of all?
12: Well, I haven't worked that out uh, this morning, but uh, we start uh, round about 1785 yeah. and um, the, uh, the walls were put up... Uh, by the owner of the of the hall here uh, at the time we believe uh, to um, enable him to grow crops uh, um, food for the house so that uh, they could lock the gate and keep uh, people out otherwise they come and feed the, the the lovely produce they were they were producing the gar- the, the walls in fact uh, were built mm. we believe locally with clay um, mm. The, the bricks uh, were made locally with clay from a quarry it could have come from over on on yeah. the wedge um, but uh, they're quite uh, it's quite unique this is about the only walled garden that in fact has a slope mm. to the north so therefore it's not actually ideal although it, it is in fact quite a lot warmer in here than outside it is we know right. we know that uh, when, uh, on a cold day, you come in here and the, the, the temperature is probably a couple of degrees higher than out, out there. So because it's the shelter from the walls. It's uh, the shelter from, from the wonderful, walls. Wonderful, wonderful.
8: So so, so over, kind of yeah. over
12: on that corner, uh, uh, on the, uh, you're, um, towards the hall, yes. you'll see that there's a dip in the wall which uh, makes it lower. And yes. It's believed that uh, the... Uh, the uh, the guy who owned the hall at the time he could look from his bedroom across to the garden and keep an eye on the gardeners to make sure that they were working yeah that's a tale that's been told for a very long I time I
8: suspect that's quite true yeah could <laughs> yeah, be that's it right could, it could be <laughs> so how, how long have the, uh, the volunteers been gardening here the
12: group uh, was eventually uh, formally formed yeah. in the year 2000 yeah and uh, uh, permission was given by the City Council for for us to uh, create a Georgian garden much as it would have been uh, all those years ago Wonderful Uh, Unfortunately the Council did change their mind uh, four years later and that's when I came onto the scene and uh, I personally had to fight to, to keep the, the garden on track because the original people were very disillusioned. We're licensed at the moment on a revolving license to y- do this as a kitchen garden. Yeah. Uh, at a later date, I, I introduced uh, mm. um, Tim, who's um, yeah. well known in the city for his work uh, on, in various yeah. organisations, yes. uh, mainly wildlife uh, things and uh, I got him to come and lead on the orchard so yeah. we actually now have the kitchen garden and, and some flower borders and yeah. some herbs and over in the other quarter we have um, a, uh, an orchard which was uh, planted three years ago okay, and great. it's coming along quite nicely okay. and in t- amongst the trees there are uh, lots of uh, opportunities to grow a wildflower meadow that's excellent, and we're here to wassail the
8: apple trees. We are so indeed, what's yeah. wassailing all about? <laughs> Happy, <isn't> well, it? <laughs> yeah. uh, it's an old t- traditional thing to,
12: uh, the myth is that, uh, that we're trying away the, uh, the
8: bad spirits. That's it, and we all bounce And
12: encourage the, the good ones to give us a... Um, a a healthy crop and
8: wassail means good health by the way okay so what you have to do is take a piece of bread and then soak it in cider and what do yeah, you do with it in the tree in the tree okay there we go that wonderful work? that's a piece of bread yeah. oh that's a big dose of cider now and place it in the branches of this tree which is about uh, five foot high i think or oh, six foot i think It's taller than me. There you are. It's in a branch of a tree. There were two decorated trees who were blessed, a king tree and a queen tree. A poem was read out, starting with, O apple tree, we wassail thee. And there was a rare Wiken Pippin apple tree, which I sponsored. There were shouts of, Hussah! Which means, cheers! And wassail! which means good health. We then had to parade round the garden, banging saucepans with wooden spoons, making some noise to drive away the evil spirits. Uh, Away, evil spirits! And we're all going to sing the wassailing song. Here
12: we come, a waspelling among the beasts of green. Here
8: we come, a waspelling so fair to be seen. Love and joy come to you, and to you, your waspelling too. And God bless you and send you a happy new year. And God send you a happy new year. Well, the noise dances dancing a stick dance called the stick dance which originated in Upton on seven and the clashing sticks together and dancing round six of them And we're wearing colored rugs. I'm speaking to one of the Coventry Morris dancers, who's been doing a stick dance with me. So, uh, what's your name?
9: My name's Dan.
8: (laughs) So, so what do you like about Morris dancing? It's just good fun. It's
1: a good tradition to do. It's an old tradition to do. It gets me out, gets me some exercise, and I enjoy it. I really do enjoy just getting out in the beautiful English countryside and,
2: and having a dance.
8: Hello, I'm pleased to lady here. What's Adios, your name? Uh, my name's Sue. <laughs> what do you think of the Wassailing this uh, morning?
11: Oh, I think it's been very very entertaining and very good to see. Yeah, I'm pleased to have come,
12: yes.
8: Yeah, it's nice to keep going, these customs, isn't it? It is, okay. it is, and it goes way back hundreds
3: of years. So it's lovely to see that it's still going on, really. That's very fantastic. nice, yes,
8: yes. Barbara, so what do you think of the what's Oh, well,
3: it's... It's the very first time I've ever heard of it yeah. because I've been away from Coventry for a long time and thoroughly enjoyed it with the Morris men and all the singing. Really a lovely morning.
8: Well, that's fantastic. Thank <laughs> you very much. Okay, Barbara, thank you. And that's all from the wassailing at the Allsley Wall Garden. Bye from me, Dave and Bye from Barbara.
6: Bye-bye. <laughs>
1: Will the gods now be kind to us for the bumper harvest this year? With wasailing ringing in our ears, we end this week's outlook, so from the team of me and Nigel Hewin, it's goodbye till next week.